Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for another edition of the Riding the Pine podcast. I'm your host, Jack Ridenauer, and thanks for sitting the bench with me today. It was a great episode last Friday. We talked about some college basketball transfers, and we're talking about some of the best-ranked college basketball transfers all throughout college basketball. Also got into Cal Ripken's incredible 1995 season, one of the most monumental seasons really in all of baseball, uh, and something that honestly a lot of people believe saved baseball during that time period. Um, But today we've got an even bigger episode ahead of us. We're going to be getting into some general sports news. Then I'm going to get into my top five favorite vintage uniforms in all of sports. Going to be a couple that are from hockey, a few from basketball, a few from baseball, so on and so forth. It's going to be a really fun one. And then we're going to wrap it up with a big interview with Lauren Braille, member of the Old Dominion men's basketball team. But until then, folks, it's going to be a fun one. And keep riding the pine with me. And welcome back, folks. We've got a really big episode ahead of us today. Like I said, I'm going to dive right into it. Going to get into some general sports news. Recently, the XFL, the newfound XFL, I should say, because the XFL at one point had already started early on in the 2000s. Uh, Vince McMahon, uh, head of WWE Wrestling, he founded that league back in 2000, 2001. And after one year, it went defunct, but then came back again this past spring and actually had a very good turnout. I've heard a lot of people say some great things about it. I personally watched it on TV. I thought it was great. I thought it was really cool having football in the springtime. Um, But unfortunately, the XFL suspended all of their operations this past Friday. Uh, They gave a massive layoff to all of their employees after a big um, kind of, you know, corporate or uh, organization wide phone call that the uh, head of the XFL had with all their employees, letting them know like, hey, we're not going to probably be having the rest of this year go on, obviously with the pandemic and everything. But, you know, a lot of people are feeling that they probably won't even come back for next year. They've never outrightly said that, but there is a lot of speculation that they might not be returning for a second season, which quite frankly, I think is really unfortunate. Again, I really liked watching it this past spring. And honestly, through the first five games, I'm pretty sure they had a pretty good turnout. They had, you know, a lot of high viewers the first week. I know that. And I thought it could have turned into a potential, you know, maybe minor league system for the NFL, maybe even, you know, had uh, potential in being somewhere where, you know, players that, you know, might have gotten cut from an NFL team or some fringe college players that didn't quite crack the NFL roster like they wanted to, they could make their way onto an NFL roster through the XFL. And it was really unfortunate. You know, I, I definitely saw it having, you know, a very good uh, run, especially over the next couple of years. I could have seen it being a league that was going to be around for four or five, six, maybe even more years. Um, and who knows, potentially there could have been uh, a deal where, you know, some NFL teams, you know, could have had control over those XFL teams and use them almost like in baseball, like minor league teams, you know, had a kind of a quote unquote farm system, if you will, for football. Um, but with that being said, said there was one shining hope of glimmer. And this is honestly why I say this could have been a really big league for, you know, non-found players, kind of unsung heroes and players that did not get the spotlight that they felt like they deserve. And I think that, you know, this player, PJ Walker, former QB of the Houston Roughnecks would have been and could have been the segue for a lot of other players to also crack NFL rosters. He was the first and only XFL player to be signed by an NFL team, was picked up by the Carolina Panthers. So, again, they're adding some more pieces at the QB position, you know, assuming that Cam Newton's not going to be coming back into a Carolina Panther uniform next year. 
Um, and he had a great year, you know, through through for over a thousand yards, had 15 touchdowns and only four picks in four in five games. So, in you know, over that five game span, he's averaging three touchdowns, not even an interception a game. And then over a thousand yards over that five game span. That's incredible. So definitely, you know, hats off to P.J. Walker. Congratulations to him. I think, again, it could have really been a big sign for a lot of players trying to get onto NFL rosters. And that could have been, you know, the, the first, you know, kind of foundation right there with P.J. Walker. And it could have um, segued into even more guys getting onto rosters. Uh, but unfortunately, the league, you know, having to suspend all, all of its operations, no longer going to be around. But who knows? I mean, the league, you know, d- went defunct after one year and then they came back. So maybe down the road, we could see a return of the XFL. Who knows? I personally hope that they do return with the XFL. I think it'll be a really, really fun league to watch in the springtime. And plus, who doesn't want football in the springtime? I mean, come on, you get it, you know, all of the fall and most of winter. And then you've got, you know, a whole another seven or eight months waiting around for football to come back. Why not have some football in the springtime, give people something to watch and give, you know, some hope in, hey, you know, football's right around the corner. The XFL season is starting up now. You know, we're right there. We're almost at uh, spring, you know, summer training camp. And then you kick into the NFL season. So it could have definitely been a very, very big part of just sports in general, not only in the football world, but just sports in general. Now I'm going to segue into my big topic today for Topic Tuesday, and I wanted to talk about my personal top five favorite vintage uniforms. I've been a massive proponent of these major league teams, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, what have you, bringing back these old school jerseys and kind of going back to these retro looks. I've always been a big fan of the retro looks. I mean, I've, you know, talked with many people and I've always been a big believer in, you know, what's, what's the coolest retro logo, who's got the coolest logo now, so on and so forth. So I'm going to go right into it right now. And I'm going to kick it off in my top five coming in at number five. I'm going to give the Quebec Nordics what the Colorado Avalanche used to be. I'm going to give them my number five spot. I really like how they got creative with the hockey stick and the puck. They were able to form kind of a hockey stick on the latter part of the arch on the end for Nordic. And then they were able to also put a little hockey puck in that also. Um, And then also I really like the light blue kind of background uniform for their for their team as well. I was also a really big fan of the fleur de lis, the little French symbol at the bottom of the jerseys, kind of similar to how Marquette a couple years ago, um, and, you know, back in the days they had, you know, Marquette written at the bottom of the jersey instead of on the you know front chest of it. So I really like that jersey a lot. So that's my number five. My number four favorite jersey, the Hartford Whalers. And quite frankly, I think this is a team that should come back. I think it's, you know, kind of like the Seattle Supersonics in the NBA. I think a lot of NHL fans and a lot of hockey fans in general want to see the Hartford Whalers back. They're now the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, but I've always been a big, big fan of that whale tail uh, atop of the W on the whaler. I also really liked how it was green and blue. Quite frankly, not quite sure why it's green, especially with, you know, whales are in water and water is usually signified as being blue. So, who knows why it was green, but nonetheless, I really liked that Jersey. Um, I thought it was a Jersey that is definitely a very classic Jersey. I think it's when you think of retro or vintage hockey, I think a lot of people automatically jump to the Hartford Whalers uniform and they're like, Hey, I really like that old school Hartford Whalers uniform. Um, but unfortunately they're not around anymore, but we could always, you know, go on Google, go on the internet. That's why the internet's the greatest thing able to look that up and, you know, reminisce on the old days. Coming in at number three, a baseball team also sticking in that Canada region. No longer with us, though, the Montreal Expos, now the Washington Nationals. 
I've always been a big fan of their design logo. I think their design logo has been one of the coolest in all of baseball and really in all of sports, um, kind of with the E and then it gets, uh, you know, kind of cursive a little bit there. I also like the, the colorway that they have with the blue and the white and the red. And again, it's that light blue background. I don't know what it is, but light blue on a uniform, I think is really cool. It's kind of, it's not so aggressive and like in your face really. And again, I'm not, you know, I don't know anything about fashion, but I just, you know, I, I know what I like and I know, you know, visually appealing things. And I know that light blue uniforms kind of in a retro sense are always really cool. I've, you know, I've always felt, you know, even with the Milwaukee Brewers, the old school Milwaukee Brewers uniforms, those are always really, really cool to see. Um, but again, I've always been a big, big fan of the Montreal Expos. Quite frankly, I, I could even see them coming back. I know there's been a lot of talk about potentially having the Tampa Bay Rays, um, you know, switching seat, you know, switching, um, going basically half seas in the middle of the season, you know, playing half in Tampa and then playing half in Montreal. Um, I've even seen things about them just completely moving to Montreal being a destination. Cause I know the Rays are one of the teams that could potentially be out of the city that they're in right now, just with all sorts of pretty sure it's, you know, building permits and, you know, the, the people of St. Petersburg are not, you know, wanting to have another uh, building built and so on and so forth. Quite frankly, though, I, I kind of hope that the Rays stick around. They're always a fun ball club to watch. I, I know a lot of Rays fans, and I know that they would be very, very unhappy if the Rays went out of their beloved Tampa Bay area. Getting into number two now, the Seattle Supersonics. And again, I personally wish, again, the Su Supersonics would come back, kind of like how the Hartford Whalers, I'm you know a big proponent of bringing back these old school teams that people have always been big fans of for a long, long time. I really want the Sonics to come back. I, I'm a big Eastern Conference guy because I'm a Milwaukee Bucks fan. But if I were to have to pick a Western Conference team to root for, I would probably pick the Seattle Supersonics. I know they're not around anymore, but I would definitely pick them as my team to root for in the Western Conference. I was always a big fan of the green and yellow color combination, kind of like how the Green Bay Packers are. But I always liked how, you know, Sonics just read right across the chest, nice and plain. I especially like the jerseys from the 90s when it was a darker green and a little bit more of a red color. And they kind of outlined the outside of the Sonics. I thought that was a really, really cool design that they did back then. Back in the, you know, the Rain Man days with Sean Kemp and Gary Payton, the glove. So those were fun teams to watch back in the 90s. I, you know, obviously was not around for that. Uh, I can't, you know, I was born a little bit later in the 90s. But, you know, that going going on the Internet again, looking up old school uh, retro you know, clips on YouTube. And it's always fun watching Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, you know, play basketball and, and what the Sonics really were. I mean, even up until, you know, 2007, 2008 with Ray Allen. And then when they drafted Kevin Durant, Durant they were fun teams to watch. I always thoroughly enjoyed watching Ray Allen play in a Sonics jersey. Um, I actually was a big Ray Allen fan up until he went to the Celtics. I'm not a huge Celtics fan. And I kind of after that, I was like, eh, I don't know if I really want to root for Ray Allen anymore. But regardless, he's a great shooter, one of the greatest shooters ever. Um, so I'm not going to hold a grudge over the guy. But coming in at number one, my personal favorite jersey of all time, the Vancouver Grizzlies. I am a massive fan of the teal color. I know a lot of people that are big basketball fans, and I think just sports fans in general will probably agree that it's one of the best retro-looking jerseys there is. I always like that teal color, like I said, but I, I really liked how they had um, kind of the grizzly and how he was, you know, kind of, it was kind of like a rough drawing almost. It was kind of a rough etching of a, of a grizzly, kind of a, um, I don't know how you want to describe it, maybe as if, you know, potentially like the grizzly had been just, you know, roughly etched out. I also really liked how on the border of where it says grizzlies on the Jersey, they're able to make it seem as if a grizzly actually clawed away at 
you know, the font letter, the font letters and everything. I also liked on the undertone of the Grizzlies uh, logo where it's kind of colored as well. And again, the embroidery around the jersey, I think, is the coolest. I mean, they kind of have this like little tribal sign and symbol and they've got like these little like, you know, bear claw or I think it's like a grizzly actually. Um, but I, I personally think those are, you know, one of the best vintage uniforms of all time. Um, I know a lot of people probably would have a bunch of others that, you know, would come in in their top five. I know for a fact that my least favorite retro jerseys, Pittsburgh Steelers, old school Bumblebee looking jerseys. I think those look ridiculous. I've never been a big fan of those at all. Actually, every single time that I watch the Steelers and they're wearing that jersey, I always say, why in the world do they continue to wear those jerseys? They are so outdated and so out of style. They look ridiculous. They literally look like a bunch of Bumblebees running around a football field. Um, and personally, my least favorite Jersey, and this is very ironic because I'm a massive Packers fan. I hate their old school Packers jerseys where it was Navy blue. And then their helmet is Brown. I mean, I'm very bad with matching colors. I think a lot of people can attest to that. I am no fashion person, like I said, but I can tell you right then and there, whoever tried to put those colors together, Navy blue and Brown, I don't know what you were looking at that day because those are two poor colors to match together. I think the jerseys, again, I know it's probably the style back then. This is a team that, you know, this was back in the twenties, thirties, you know, forties. So maybe back then that was a cool colorway to have, but in 2020 and the two thousands nowadays, not a cool colorway to have. So those are my top five. Let me know what your top five uh, favorite uniforms are. Um, if you want to write in on Twitter, Instagram, but now we're going to head over into our big interview today. Lauren Brill, member of the men's basketball team at Old Dominion. Folks, it's going to be a great one. Keep sticking around. Keep riding the pine with me. And here he is, Lauren Brill. I'm here live with Lauren Brill, member of the Old Dominion's men's basketball team. Lauren, first and foremost, thank you so much for calling in and answering a couple of my questions today. But more importantly, how have you been during all of this craziness that's been going on in the world? I know there's been a ton of just everything's been going on with this pandemic and stuff. How have you been holding up through all of it? Uh, I'm glad, uh, glad for having me, Jagger. Thank you for having me. But uh, I think the best way to put it is I'm just making most of it like everyone else. I know I, I would rather to be doing a lot of other things, but my mentality to it is just glass half full, you know, just focusing on the bright side. My family's healthy. I'm healthy. I'm just doing my part, staying quarantine, social distancing, and, you know, getting my own workouts in. But, you know, I'm hanging in there and making the most of it. Absolutely. I think you said it best. Having a half glass full mentality is always very important, especially during all this, you know, not being able to really go and do a whole lot and go and see anybody really. I mean, that's got to drive a lot of people insane. I know it's driven me a little bit insane, but hey, I'm glad that you've been able to chat today and uh, it's going to be a fun one. I'm going to jump right into it with you. First and foremost, a question that I've always been very intrigued by and, and kind of very curious about with your journey in basketball You've gone from one coast to another and then back to the East Coast. So originally starting out on the East Coast, you finished high school and prep school over here. And then you came, you went over to the West Coast. You initially started your collegiate career at Cal State Fullerton. And then you eventually came back to the East Coast. And now you are at Old Dominion. What has that bouncing back and forth been like for you? And what kind of adjustment did you have going from, you know, back and forth so much? Uh, I'm not gonna lie. It was overwhelming at first, and I was a little scared and anxious because uh, I didn't really know what the future held for me out in uh, Cal State Fullerton. Uh, like you said, I was born 
I was born on the East Coast, so I've lived on the East Coast my entire life, and I've never been to the West Coast until college, and honestly, it was a culture shock. Like, I felt like on the East Coast, everyone is on a more tighter schedule. There's a lot more things going on, and sometimes you can get lost within your own schedule, but when I got out to the West Coast, I feel like it was more relaxed, more calm out there, and honestly, like, it was a great experience, and I'm blessed to ever be a part of our Cal State Fullerton basketball program. Yeah, I've, everybody that I know that is from California and, and just talking from you, I mean, simply it's a completely different world, you know, from the East Coast and the West Coast. It's two totally different worlds that we're living in in one big country. So it's definitely got to be a very big adjustment for you going back and forth, back and forth. I know that's probably got not only to do a lot with just the lifestyle living, but also probably just your sleep schedule. That's probably got to been thrown off a lot. Um, but now we'll jump into some a bit of your role that you have at Old Dominion. Now, you're a walk-on player, and you've been a member of the team now for two years. Talk about what your role entails and what has been your biggest responsibility for this team, both in practice and in games. Uh, I think uh, someone said that's that you, that uh, the role of a walk-on is to do, everybody, uh, do what everyone else is doing, but uh, getting none of the credit. I mean, we're still doing the exact same workouts, we're doing the exact same practices, but we don't get the scholarship for it, so we don't get the reward in playing time, uh, like, like I said. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. Uh, you're recruited to do your job, and my job was to perform the scout team uh, for, for our team. And uh, what scout team entails is we give the, the starters and the guys who play a lot a look from the opposing team. And with that being said, we watch film on it, and then we just – try to replicate what we see onto the court. So when guys get out in the game, it's not a first time that they don't know how to handle it. So when they get out there, they're not pressured by an unexpected trap or they're not caught off guard by a certain play. So when we get, uh, when they get out there, they should feel like they've seen this already and they already have the answers to the test. So, and I think our rules are during the game is um, we have our own language for some of the scouts' plays we have for the other team. Our kind of uh, our kind of role is to try to figure out to call out certain plays before they happen. If you can recognize a set, and if we can hear um, the other plays, what they call for it, because we have our own language for their plays, and if we can hear what their their call is, they'll help us down the line, and maybe even in the game that we can expect a a trap, we can expect a backdoor, we can expect a a lob, because one play can make the difference in between uh, between deciding a winner and a loser. Absolutely. I've always felt that, you know, walk-ons are not appreciate, appreciated as much as they should be. I think that you're just as important as the first guy on that team. And again, you're kind of an extension of the coach. You know, you're at the other end of the bench. And so you're seeing things on the floor differently from where the coach is standing. So it's two totally different, you know, points of view during the game. And again, you calling out those extra calls and relaying those things out onto the co- onto the court for your teammates is so important. It's so it's so needed because, you know, in the midst of all of it, you know, with the yelling, the screaming of the fans and then the blowing of the whistle and then, you know, just all the talk that goes on a basketball court, there's got to be, you know, at some point, a little bit of a breakdown in translation and having those extra voices coming off the bench has got to be so crucial, especially in those big games, those down the wire games. Now, talk about a little bit going from Cal State Fullerton to Old Dominion and what that the biggest transition really was for you in terms of play style and what were some similarities and differences in terms of philosophy and philosophy and play that you noticed between the two different schools? 
Um, I think it's best how my coach currently says it. There's a thousand ways to skin a cat. I think both programs have been successful because both have reached championships and they've won, but they're two different completely styles of play that I've noticed. When I was at Cal State Fullerton, we focused more on pushing the ball up, getting up and down, and trying to outscore the opponents. And it almost reminded me of the Lakers. We even had some of the Lakers sets in. I remember in practices we were working on how fast we can get the ball down, how fast we can get a score. But uh, on the opposite end, when I was uh, when I'm currently at ODU, I noticed how much detail we push into defense and how much we pride ourselves in defense. Uh, my coach and his uh, and his uh, fellow coaching staff, they're from UVA, so they pride themselves in packing the line and limiting our opponents to one possession each time they come down. So uh, like we hold our opponents usually down to 60, 60 points per game, and honestly, it's kind of been a recipe success for us. I mean, we've had a championship as well, and um, I think the similarities, you could tell that each program does their best in scouting. Each program prides themselves in doing the best they can each and every day because it's tough to win. Uh, I mean, you can see it. There's only 60, 68 teams that were allowed to go win, and of those are at-large bids, and then of those are just conference championships. So it's tough to win. So I usually tip off my hat to those guys because they pride themselves and they work hard each and every day. Absolutely. And I definitely think you hit the nail on the head there. Defense does lead to championships. I mean, it, it proved for you guys last year going to the uh, conference championship in your conference and winning it ultimately and going to the NCAA tournament. I mean, that's got to be such a cool experience, you know, as a player. And um, talk briefly about what that experience was like, you know, going to the NCAA tournament. I mean, that one of the biggest sport gatherings one of the biggest sports months of the entire year in March. What was that like just going and playing in that game against Purdue and having that experience being put underneath your belt? I think uh, just to sum it up, it was surreal. It almost felt like a dream because as kids, you always talk about playing college basketball and up about college basketball. It's always about March Madness. I just remember it went by so quick. We literally got, off the, we got on the plane at 4 a.m. and next thing you know, Selection Sunday after we won the championship, so all of that, and then next thing you know, you're on practice, and you're heading out to, to Hartford, Connecticut to play Purdue in the opening round, so it was, it was truly a blessing. I got to see how far basketball can take you if you work hard and you stay with it. I mean, I just feel, I remember we had open practices, and I remember being one of those kids who used to call out to the players to sign for an autograph or take a picture, and then it kind of went full circle when kids were asking me to sign autographs and take pictures. So it's truly a blessing. And I'll, I'll remember probably that's probably one of the most, uh, the moments that I will cherish in my entire life. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, as a kid growing up also, I always dreamed of that moment too. I mean, playing on the big stage of college basketball, you know, I mean, it's called the big dance for a reason. And I mean, being able to go through that and be a part of that and be a part of just not only the game and, playing but also just all the festivities that go around and all the extra publicity all the media just all the attention that you get it's I mean it's got to be like you said so surreal and it's just such an incredible experience something that like you said you'll probably never forget ever and quite frankly I think anybody that goes to the NCAA tournament as a player as a coach what have you they could they probably could all attest to it and say hey that's something that I will never forget for the rest of my life Lauren you've been awesome I've got one final question for you I think it's something that a lot of people are very intrigued with and it's the lifestyle of a division one athlete and really any college athlete that is but talk about what 
it it's like on your daily routine during the season, but then also what your daily routine is out of season as well. Uh, at first, I want to say it's it's not meant for everybody. You definitely, it's definitely time consuming and definitely mentally grueling to you. Uh, I feel like you have few time for yourself, and it's almost essentially a job. So first, to, to go over what an in season schedule would be like, we we uh. One through five for practices. So you would have classes either in the mornings or at night. For me, I have my classes in the morning. So I'll start off my day with uh, morning morning classes. So 9.30, 10.45, 11.00 to 12.15. And then we have practice at 1.00. So I usually, and a couple of guys, head early to go get stretched, to go get taped, to mentally lock in and go get shots up. And then from there, we watch film for about 30 minutes, either discussing uh, the opponent we're, opponent we're about to play, or just kind of just, yeah, so then uh, right after, we switch straight to practice, and then from there in practice, uh, practice usually ranges from hour 45 to about two and a half hours, so in that time frame, you're trying to lock in, you're, you're physically locking in, you're doing everything you can just to, just get a, um, just to make sure you get better, but also make your other teammates better in the process, and then after that, usually we have a lift, lift ranges from 45 minutes to an hour so just to finish it all off and to top it all off you just gotta push through even though you're tired even though you know you got an exam the next day you still gotta mentally focus and say like tell yourself like look like I got it and then finally uh, you have night classes I was fortunate not to have any night classes this semester and then from there get, get some food and then obviously catch up on schoolwork. and then from off-season standpoint, we would have lifts every day, so usually we break up into smaller groups for lifts. So you usually have a lift time um, based on your class schedule as well. And then uh, in that time period of the off-season, it's uh, NCAA rules. You only have a certain amount of hours on court. So you have an individual with a coach probably twice a week and then every day lift. So that kind of keeps you occupied and keeps you still motivated to get better and uh, look forward to the next season. Well, it sounds like a very long day that you all have for sure. And I always tip my hat off to all Division One athletes and really, again, all collegiate athletes because because it is a grind. It is a very, very long day that you have to go through, especially during in-season. And I know from many times talking to you, the type of days that you have, getting in late, getting up early, whatever – it's it's a lot. It's a lot, not only physically, but like you said, also mentally. And, you know, for all of you to able to come out on top and victorious, you know, you know, not only out in games and whatnot, but also just being able to get up every single day and continue to do that. I mean, that's a humongous accomplishment and that's a, a massive just sign of respect that I have for all of you just b- being able to go through that on a daily basis. Well, Lauren, again, thank you so much for calling in. Really appreciate your time. Again, Lauren Brill from the Old Dominion men's basketball team. Again, thank you so much for your time. And we will definitely have you back on a friend of mine, a friend of the shows. And I look to I look forward to uh, talking to you soon. Definitely. Thank you for having me, Jack. Absolutely. And folks, that's going to wrap it up for us here today on Riding the Pine. I'm Jack Ridenour. And again, thanks for tuning in. And don't forget, always keep riding the bench with me.